0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome Ryan Johnson. Ryan is the founder and CEO of Community Media. He has done an amazing job of helping to represent underrepresented groups, specifically in HBCUs. He's working with a lot of brands, he's built an incredible company, and we're gonna share that with you today. Let's talk to Ryan. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the The DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Ryan Johnson, who is the founder and CEO of Community Media. Thanks for joining me today, Ryan.
1: It was, like, man. I appreciate it. I know this took a while to get on the books, but I'm excited to uh, finally get together and you know really chop it up with you today.
0: Absolutely, yeah. We've had some subtle crossover to date. We've probably been in some of the same rooms, but we have not exactly. sat down, uh, really got to know each other. I think. Probably the, the closest crossover would have been an eSports Business Summit. You guys had yep. an incredible networking party there at the HyperX Arena, and it was great seeing all of my friends there. But I am so excited to share what you've been doing. You've got just such a pure mission. I think everybody in the space knows who you are, they're seeing what you're doing, and you're making great progress. Why don't you tell us first, what is community?
1: Yeah, community, you know, really just from a top-down approach, our mission is to increase minority representation in the esports and video game industry. You know, early on, call it like right before we started the company in January of 2020, in 2019, just doing a whole bunch of research, um, leveraging a lot of the data at the time from the International Game Developers Association, the IGDA, we found that nearly 83% of African-American teens played video games on a weekly basis, but only 2% of video game developers were African-American. Wow. So, One, with that data point, it was, okay, well, you know, that is not reflective of my upbringing. My family, my friends that I know are are so passionate about gaming. So how can we, one, really start an organization to more or less become a microphone to raise the awareness of the fact that if so many minorities are gaming, how can we use that as an educational vehicle to then start begin to teaching STEM-based skills and, and other opportunities? And so what I will say is that the really, that was like one of the first critical moments, was like understanding that data, kind of just like the foundation of where the industry was to date. From there, we then, being based in Atlanta, Georgia, you know, Georgia was one of the early states that actually identified esports as an interscholastic high school sport so that being said you know kind of going into the third or fourth season it just we just got word that you know there was not a heavy present heavy representation from the Atlanta public schools or really any of the title one or minority you know minority majority school districts within Georgia and come to find out a lot of that had to do with the fact of it was really PC based games that were being played or being focused on as the you know the temple titles and by nature it really alienated schools that couldn't afford or did not have the funding to build computer labs to then be a part of the esports industry. So then it was like, all right, cool. Understanding this percentage disparity, understanding more life, more or less like the real life scenario of where things are to date in the high school environment. We figured if it's happening in Atlanta, it's probably happening in every major city throughout the country. So sure. th- this is exactly what we're going to build our company's mission around and you know, started to build solutions to kind of tackle that problem.
0: Yeah, I think underfunded schools is a pretty common problem across the country, but I would say uniquely with eSports, you need quite a bit of funding to really be able to compete. Correct. Right? When you look at soccer, which is the most popular sport in the world, a big reason why it's so popular is the barriers to entry to play, like all you need is a ball. I mean, in some countries, you'll see kids blow up a, a plastic bag <laughs> and use that right. as a soccer ball, which is crazy. But you do need all this equipment. You need a strong signal. The game costs money to buy. Yeah, just... And so there's there's a lot of barriers there. Do you know what the stats... I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, and I don't know the answer here, but do you know what the stats outside of game development is? Because one thing I think is awesome about esports, there's a lot of different roles, right? You could be right. in marketing. You could be a, a production person. You can be a broadcaster, et cetera. But I believe that those levels are... Uh, underrepresented as well
1: you know so i'll be honest with you i don't have a specific, a specific statistic but what i will say is just like from talking to a lot of industry peers to my knowledge it was some 240 243 000 jobs reported in the industry or the gaming industry over the last two years and i've been told it's been closer to like six to eight maybe nine ten percent for yeah. like working African-American professionals, was still, again, like the great majority. So I think for us, the reason why the statistic around developers was so critical is that it's really rooted in future skills that young students need to be learning. And the reality is that you know, students that are able to grow up with a computer in their home, specifically around gaming, there's a very high correlation to um, those folks going on to su- study some type of STEM-based major, um, right. and and that is really what we're focused on when, it, when we're talking more so from like an academic and education opportunity is using esports as a tool of engagement to enhance minority representation from an educational standpoint. So, yeah, to answer your question though, I, what we are working on is trying to pick, figure out, you know, who or what large groups can help kind of like organize that data, because I would be super interested to kind of just see like a very clear and concise report of like, here's where we are, you know, as a state of the industry, more or less.
0: The DLC Drop podcast is sponsored by Ice Shaker. I've been a huge fan of this brand for the past few years, ever since I met founder, Chris Gronkowski. What I love about this product is the brand story, the functionality and the customization. Ice Shaker is a shark tank company invested in by Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez, owned by NFL players Rob Gronkowski and Chris Gronkowski. I love using my Ice Shaker anytime I'm driving to the podcast studio, I'm going skateboarding, or I'm at the gym. No matter what I'm doing, it just does a great job of keeping my drinks hot or cold. The customization for Ice Shaker is something that's super unique. You can get any name, just about any logo engraved on your ice shaker and delivered to you within just three to five business days. Get your own DLC Drop branded ice shaker at iceshakercom forward slash dlcdrop. Save 20% on all ice shaker products with the discount code DLC Drop. Yeah, I agree. I'm really interested in kind of your origin story. Was your experience with having access to these things? also challenging or did you have access to to games to wi-fi to technology growing up
1: yeah so i mean for me i grew up I was born in South Carolina. I was raised in Maryland. I've always been a gamer. Like, my first console I remember having was a Sega Genesis. So I was definitely, like, on the side that grew up with consoles in the household. I mean, I want to say maybe, like, around the fifth or 6th grade, my parents got, like, a home computer with, like, Microsoft Word. You know, literally not for the function of gaming. Um, but. In that mix of growing up, I, I somehow got into like Star Wars Battlefront. I remember that very vividly. And Counter-Strike Source, I mean, I was playing those on the computer, but it was playing those on a literally a computer that was designed purely for like office and work material. So it wasn't the best performance whatsoever. So yeah, I quickly like found myself back on the consoles. But I would say for me, I think that's what was so alarming about my getting into the professional side of the industry was growing up like myself, my friends, like everyone, you know, looked like me more or less that I knew from like a gaming perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really like the introduction to online gaming, maybe when I was like in the eighth or ninth grade, that really like introduced me to the world of gaming could be. And like we talked about a little earlier, also some of the toxic side of gaming, right? Yeah. So yeah, no, to answer your question, like gaming is was like huge for me growing up. It was gaming and basketball and skateboarding it was like my early, early childhood. So yeah.
0: That sounds like my childhood just started on the on the West Coast, with especially with skateboarding. At what point did you recognize personally that this was an issue that needed a solution?
1: It was really going back to summer of two thousand and nineteen. I remember that we had a meeting with the athletic directors of the Atlanta public school system, and their and it was really an interest meeting to get into esports and gaming. Hmm. Um, but each of the schools that were kind of present, they all had very similar challenges around the funding to be able to buy buy the technology, the actual product, the connectivity of being able to work with like the school district. Because I mean, as I'm sure a lot of people know um, or may not know, you know, schools do not have the right to make independent um, decisions when it comes to like various technology upgrades. So, Mm -hmm. you know, really having to work from a district perspective to get a handful of things approved and then systems put into place to bring these schools on board. It was just like understanding those challenges literally for that had to be no more than 10 or nine schools um, that were present, I was like, I can imagine that this is going to be in, a challenge for other school districts, not only in Georgia, but throughout the country. So yeah. that was like one of the first early ideas. And then kind of mirroring that again with the data point of the amount of minorities that gain to the amount of minorities that work. It's like we want to build a company that can focus on educating minorities around the Opportunities to work in this space yeah. outside of being a gamer or a content creator, and simultaneously, we want to create a platform, um, an affordable platform, at like that, that allows students, um, you know, within these school districts, to to still participate within, you know, esports.
0: Right, and so you identified this problem, and I, I think a lot of people, you know, can like poke holes and things or saying this needs to be different but it's a, ter- a certain type of a person this is one of the things I really respect about you is you're somebody who not just identified a problem but you said I'm going to do something about it the kind of cr- what made that happen inside you where you said I'm the one to tackle this problem I'm going go- I'm going to go for it
1: uh you know I don't I don't know I never really thought about it through that perspective I mean just my, my whole life I've always been like an air of curiosity and just like wanted to try new things so what I will say is like super early on though I think it was about just position one being in Georgia where esports one became like a state sport right so there was actually a real problem to solve I know a lot of people in similar states could be working on the same thing but the fact that it's not like a state sanctioned or like something that's taken at a, a level of seriousness that still provides another layer of challenges so one it was the fact that esports is really a thing in the state of Georgia. Yeah, um, I think two, just one. The community that we're focused on and also collegiately being focused on hbcus myself and my co-founder chris we both were hbcu alum so when we started to look at this from the collegiate perspective simultaneously to the high school one it was you know well if this problem exists at the high schools and we also saw the fact that crazy collegiate opportunities for esports and gaming but you know there was really no hbcus at the time that were participating in any of the mainstream collegiate leagues So we're like well Simultaneously, if we could build an environment for the high school system, for like these underfunded school systems, and then we simultaneously built that same ecosystem within the collegiate space for HBCUs, we can then basically start to develop our own pipeline, our own ecosystem of leagues, of education, of scholarship development, of job placements, of facilitating introductions from corporate brands to these institutions for funding purposes, et cetera. And so it was really just kind of like, understanding what the possibilities were, and then to your point, just like taking action and making it happen.
0: Yeah, we, you know, I gotta give a big shout out to the state of Georgia, obviously the, uh, very well known from a film production standpoint. For sure. Sante Bradford, who is a mutual friend for both of us. Yep. At the Esports Trade Association, we actually gave him the Game Changer Award the first year we gave it out for oh, the cool. work. shout out Sante. So Asante, for the people who don't know, basically, enabled him and his team enabled tax breaks for productions, esports productions, very similar to what we see in in film. And sure. so that has really attracted a lot of people. Obviously, you've got the the Overwatch League team. Is it the Atlanta Rain? Yep, I the Atlanta rain. Yeah. I want to say and we got Atlanta phase. So you got some phase in the house. Yeah. What yeah. what else is? Can you help the audience better understand kind of that whole Georgia esports ecosystem because it's it's really going off over there.
1: You know, it's, it's pretty cool. So I guess starting with the teams, right? So like you said, there's the Atlanta Reign, there's the Atlanta Phase. That's all kind of owned by Cox Business, which is you know massive corporation out of out of Georgia. Yeah. We also have Ghost Gaming as well. We actually made um, a small investment in the Ghost. So we're we're super super close with the team over there. Um, And then from a, I would say from an overarching standpoint, you have the Atlanta eSports Alliance, which is basically the eSports board that exists within the Atlanta Sports Council. So the same, the Sports Council for those, you know, a lot of major cities sports councils responsible for like Super Bowls, Final Fours, college championships, et cetera. Mm -hmm. They created an eSports Council within the Sports Council of Atlanta. Primarily, you know, we have major events right now, like DreamHack, they have MomoCon, which is like a huge anime cosplay weekend that takes place. And then working towards like some of the larger events as well. We are not being community or myself like directly involved with the Atlanta Esports Alliance as of yet but just like super close to some of the folks there so get you know privilege of kind of understanding what's going on from a city perspective what's really cool Georgia has over a hundred video game independent video game developers so it was a huge huge operation for um, independent games I think one of the most known from that genre a while ago was uh, Brawlhalla organization Blue Mammoth is based right in Atlanta Georgia and then we also have hi Res Studios which you know created smite uh rogue company and also paladins so georgia is really really unique and then of course on the the professional side the atlanta hogs have their professional team the 2k the Talon. right and the, yep so i mean the georgia landscape is is really unique and then of course you have like a lot of ancillary businesses like esports lounges and arenas you have you know esports businesses, like a community, and so you have a lot of folks like that kind of sprinkled in as well. It's really unique, and then the fact that all of the colleges within their local area have collegiate and varsity esports programs, so Georgia State, Georgia Tech, Kennesaw State, the University of Georgia, the HBCUs that are part of HBCU Esports League, and kind of like what we're working on. So, I mean, there's it's a really, really cool, like, combination of gaming, you know, film and television, and also traditional sports, entertainment, and music. That's what I say, like, position was really unique, just kind of like being housed and based in Atlanta, Georgia. So,
0: I love that, because there's a lot to learn from traditional industries, like traditional sports, traditional media, and then also understanding when gaming and esports is unique, right? And when innovation is required. One thing too that I really love about esports is that it can be the change agent for broader industries. And what I mean by that is, a lot of times the biggest barrier to making change is we've always done it this way, right? Right. And so you saw obviously NCAA is now doing name image likeness so players can finally uh, make some money that way but there's you hear that a lot in traditional industries and in esports it's like we haven't done much of anything for a long time so (laughs) it's all up in the air do you feel empowered or do you feel flexibility or any intimidation with we're the new guys to the party and you know this is how we're going to do it
1: I'll, i'll say it like it's pretty honestly not really and the reason being is because again like For me and like the people that we're kind of like bring into the space, like esports wasn't the thing growing up, right? It was just the fact that, you know, we love the game. We like to be the best when we play the games, whether it's, you know, the FTC community, whether it's Halo, whether it's Call of Duty. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't know about esports probably until like mid 2018. And when I learned about it, I was like mind blown. And that was the first time I even heard of like League of Legends. And I was was like, yo, this is is crazy that, you know we're so connected, but disconnected simultaneously. So when we say like being now like the new guys in the party, we just feel like, you know, now we just have like a light shining over this community that's already been here literally my entire life. And I think what is the interesting part and still kind of like in process and to be determined is how these worlds come together. Right. Mm. This existing infrastructure and ecosystem of gaming that, you know, as has claimed it since day one. And then like this new emerging group, that's kind of like, oh, wow, like this new space is a place where I can be creative, where I can show like freedom of expression. And I actually can showcase my skills, et cetera. So that's that's what I think we're working towards now. Right. Is like highlighting and bringing awareness to one side, but then ultimately making sure that we can have these two worlds blend together. So no, it's, it's super exciting. Actually, it's kind of like how I look at it, when it, it creates a comfort, comfort level in a home for other people who may have felt like excluded or alienated previously.
0: Yeah, I think one thing about the esports community is it's extremely inclusive. Once you... Kind of get over that first barrier, I would say. Like a lot of people say, "How do I get into esports? How do I get into esports?" And I think it all comes down to your intentions. And if you approach the space, you approach people in the industry, and you simply say, "Hey, how can I help?" You know, mm-hmm. I'm not here just to for myself solely or to make a bunch of money off you. Like you know, that's the mistake some brands will will make approaching the space. But to come and say, "Hey, I'm here to learn. I'd like to help." And in my experience, when you have that approach, you're embraced.
1: Yep. You know, I agree. I agree. But even to your point, I think one of the challenges, too, is folks, whether you're in or, you know, trying to come in or somewhere within that process, it's, I mean, the industry is is what they say, like one, two billion dollars, like large, you know, current pre- present moment, yeah. and transparently, that's not super big. And so right. when a lot of times folks are like, you know, it's, it's closed knit. Well, it's kind of by its nature and the fact that it's still like a developing industry. And yeah. so like, again, from the, our perspective, we're like, how can we just contribute to the growth of like this space. And I know a lot of times that has its pros and also has its cons. But again, that was just like perspective. It was like, all right, I will, I think I'll have a better shot of getting where I want to go in this space, like taking a stab at it in an attempt to like, get to know folks and really build those authentic relationships that then allow you to come into that space like along the journey.
0: Yeah, I think something with the pipeline, both pipeline to pro as a player, and then pipeline yep. to professional business person neither of those are really figured out in esports yet completely regardless of race gender etc with what you're trying to do do you think it's more of a challenge because there's not this pipeline to d- then say hey this group needs to also be represented or do you think there's more opportunity because you're you're not constricted by what's already created
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, and even from like the leagues and various tournaments or academic stuff that we do, I mean, we follow a a very traditional format, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, but it's more so, it's not like we're trying to create this environment to fit in a space. So that's what has made it like pretty, like I wouldn't say easy by any means, but a straightforward process is like, you know, we literally will go school by school, work with students, teachers, faculty and staff. And basically, help them create their esports club and their esports program. Hmm. And then, once that club or program is created, the students, once they get together, they practice, you know, they say, hey, look, this is what we want to do. We just basically build the platform for them to insert themselves. So that way, there isn't that crazy barrier of entry trying to get into what some of the more established systems or established leagues, or especially leagues that may have like a cost associated with them to answer your question. So, no, it's been super interesting just to see the amount of opportunities also from some of like the brand sponsors that we work with that are also looking to pour into these communities that are now being developed and created so that's kind of like the equal balance is like a fair share of like help facilitate help manage and administer Mm -hmm. and then working with like corporate partners and corporate brands to then help fund and support these initiatives along the way
0: absolutely and who are some of those sponsors let's give them a shout out give them a little love you know, and
1: if I forget anyone, I I deeply apologize, but going down the list is like Microsoft, Verizon, Comcast, Discover. We, we do a good number of work also with Nike. Discover, Nike, and Verizon, I'm sorry, <coughs> are specifically a part of like our HBCU esports league. Red Bull was one of our early brands that provided us funding to build like a handful of esports labs and HBCUs. We do some work with DoorDash. I mean, it's a good number of folks that um, we've been able to tap into over the last, you know, two two years or so, um, to really like achieve this holistic mission.
0: Yeah, and I can totally see from my brand partnership lens, like why partnering with community is a great play for a brand. But can you give our audience a little bit of that pitch? If you know, let's say I'm a company that you're approaching, why would it make sense for me to partner with community?
1: Yeah, and, and what I'll say just again, like for clarity, because I don't want I don't want to conflict messages, right? There's a narrative that exists for our 501c3 nonprofit, and there's also the narrative that exists for community media, more or less from our nonprofit lens. You know, we know the last two years, Mr. and Mrs. Brand, there's been a huge commitment of corporate dollars from a social standpoint to socially empower and also economically and academically empower minority communities. And kind of like simultaneously, we know a lot of brands are looking to get into gaming, and esports to reach that younger audience. So basically, we just show them a roadmap of all right, if you engage with us over three months, six months, nine months, here are all like the academic touch points that we have, whether that's within the school system or like in aftercare or we can program from like a STEM in education perspective, Yeah, uh, we show them the lens of, all right, well from brand awareness, here is uh, more or less like esports tournaments, leagues, uh, one-off tit pole events that we can create to really give like that entertainment fun factor and then a the brand like literally looks at it and they say like this aligns perfectly with what we want to do and then again we're just staffed appropriately to then be able to execute like at a high level that you know hopefully the certain folks want to come back and, and really recreate those same experiences but i think for us is the fact that we have sustainable programs we're not really looking to do like one-off events with partners yeah. and they're able to buy into like a calendar and a series of different events and That help them check a lot of their boxes, both from like a social impact and philanthropy standpoint, Mm -hmm. from a marketing and brand standpoint. And then I will say in those worlds, I think right now moving forward are are going to be pretty tied closely together, marketing and social impact for like the next few years to come.
0: It just seems like such a great play for brands because in the current climate, you know, you're we are becoming more and more aware of underrepresented communities and brands are becoming more aware that they need to support these groups. And then you're getting a lot of goodwill from that, right? When when, when you, as a brand, support a community. And then also, eSports is the hottest thing in the world. So it's like, hey, two birds, one stone, you know, let's lift up these underrepresented communities. Let's garner a bunch of goodwill. And then also, let's help you with this eSports strategy to engage youth in the way that they are competing and consuming content.
1: Yep, and I and I guess just to give like a a pretty cool example of you know when we really realize that this formula works. So as an example, Verizon is a sponsor of our HBCU esports with HBCU esports league. So they basically get you know twenty two interactions with us over the course of twenty two weeks. So that's like cool. You know, traditional sponsorship, Logos Lab, we give them a a brand segment. They help support some of the esports labs that we build as well through that sponsorship. Mm -hmm. But then separately from that, the Verizon Foundation, last year at E3, we announced a million-dollar partnership with them where we donated, you know, and still in the process of donating $200,000 to five HBCUs to help them kickstart their uh, eSports program. So $100,000 per school goes towards building their eSports lab, and then $100,000 goes to five women that will each receive a $20,000 scholarship that study a STEM-based major. So that was like, you know, when that finally came to fruition, it was like, all right, cool, I think we found out, like, this perfect formula of creating a gaming and competitive platform that highlights these gamers that want to be seen they want to go pro and get discovered but then also creating sustainable environments on campus that can support students that have wanted to come into this space you know, for years to come. And so for us, it's like, once you put something like that into play, is the the value or the impact that you, be- it's, it's really hard to track, right? Because sure. now you're activating people's inspiration and things yeah. that they've always wanted to tap into. So just wanted to give that example of like how we kind of like balance these two worlds together. And it, ha- it has been a really, really fulfilling process just to kind of see you know the results of what we've done in the last you know year and a half two years
0: yeah well shout out to you for providing the opportunity and then shout out to Verizon specifically and your other sponsors for really stepping up to the plate and funding these things one thing that I realized both at agencies and working at big brands is (laughs) brands have so much money I've been in a room before (laughs) I I I was in a room at the end of the year one year and somebody was like I have to figure out how to spend a million dollars before the end of the year And it's like individuals are not saying that typically, right? right? And so to do cool stuff, to do impactful stuff, you need dollars. Brands have dollars. And if you can help them utilize those dollars in a way that benefits them, those dollars are gonna keep coming. Yep, absolutely. You mentioned a little bit about the difference between the 501c3 community and community media. Can you tell us about the differences in those things?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, like, our nonprofit is really where this whole thing started. So January of 2020, um, that's when we founded the nonprofit, Arm. And really, again, the focus of that is pure education and and academic enhancement. So really, that's where we work with some of our brand partners like Microsoft and Comcast, where we create you know, weekend programs. Let me just give you a real example. In the month of April with Comcast, we basically every Saturday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. in Atlanta, we would bring in a handful of students from Metro Atlanta that wanted to learn more about the esports and gaming industry. And between 11 and 4, throughout those four weeks on Saturday, the students learn literally week one, the difference between esports and the versus gaming and then kind of like going into weekend four you know we actually bring in the ability for students to begin to like 3d model with characters and like some like super like low-level software so basically from like our nonprofit lens is really around curriculum development academic programs we're actually getting ready to announce something pretty cool that we're doing this summer um, in atlanta with microsoft and then also building out the esports labs for students in schools to be able to create those opportunities inside of their facilities So really where that differs from our media arm is that our media arm specifically focuses around like some of the creative revenue generating IP that we create or that we're now kind of like tapping into. And then also as a consulting partner with media agencies and marketing companies and also brands around how they can be positioning themselves specifically when it comes to talking and speaking with diverse audiences. And really what ended up happening I would say maybe a year, year and a half into um, our early journey as community, the uh, our 501c3, is that people really began to like like us for you know kind of like for the work that we were doing. Yeah. And additional projects started to come up outside of the scope of what we were doing purely within education. So that's really what was the the desire and the need to really start this business to support a lot of the same brands, a lot of the same initiatives, and, and kind of like mindsets that the companies wanted to do, but it just wasn't purely focused around the mission of increasing education or economic empowerment. So yeah, that that's like super high level, kind of like the separation and difference between the two entities.
0: Well, I think that's super smart that you recognize the demand, and then rather than getting off focus from your mission of the nonprofit community, you created an adjacent the company to to service yeah. that demand. Is that right?
1: Yeah. And I mean, more so it, it was that, but also just the protection of the nonprofit. I mean, the last, I mean, if we're just being super transparent, right? We yeah. are a young black owned nonprofit focused in a really cool and emerging space. Yep. We by no means ever wanted to give the perception or perspective that we were taking advantage of that status. So, sure. really, just for like a protective means of what we're still looking to do with our 501c3 was rip all of those services that could be conflict away from that, have two separate companies all together, two separate teams that work on you know supporting projects, and then kind of keep everything very clean from a documentation standpoint moving forward. So no, it's, it's been, a, like I said, a, a really interesting past six to eight months specifically with that kind of ramping up. But again, it's, it's all kind of been a part of the plan as we continue to grow this thing out.
0: I love that. If you were to give the audience who may be people who are at, whether it's high schools or colleges listening to this, trying to understand how to, you know, how do they embrace esports in a way that works well for the school, works well for the students? What is some of the advice that you would give someone from a school for that?
1: (laughs) I would say, from a student perspective, if the question is like around how can you know, esports and gaming help me, I was like, I would always think like inwardly is like, what is your passions or what do you want to be when you grow up? Right? Like, that mm-hmm. very generic question because that thing exists through the lens of gaming. And I think that's like our ultimate message is like, you can be what you want to be and do what you want to do through esports. I mean, even from like our own personal journey. I mean, we're strictly on the business side of gaming and it's opened the doors to a lot of other things, you know, for us to kind of tap into, which literally is like some of the wildest dreams that we kind of thought about like a couple of years ago. So that's like the main thing is like you can live your wildest passions and dreams through esports and gaming, like really spend time and figure out like what that thing is or like what are those top three things that you Uh may care about the most and figure out and start researching in gaming or in something adjacent to gaming. Like, how can I get there? Or what jobs, careers, people exist that are doing those same things. And I would say from a school perspective, I was like, now is more of a unique time than ever. One, of course, you know, should any schools be listening, tap into community, we would love to like have a conversation. But even if not, Schools have more power or at least unique positioning or a story to tell than ever before, mm-hmm. especially when there's so many companies and so many like supporting third party companies that are looking to help right now more than ever. And there's actually dollars and there's actually funding specifically al- allocated for this, whether it's federal or government funding or private funding, right? It, it currently exists. So yeah, no, those are like a lot of times what we'll share, but the main thing is just start. I know is because like it's a very, very daunting space. Once I think you figure out some of the low-level foundation points of how to navigate Gaming is is pretty is, is a pretty straightforward space to get through once you kind of figure out who, what, when, where and kind of like how as well.
0: Yeah, it sounds like step one for people trying to figure it out is to reach out to you, connect with community, see um, oh, for sure. if you guys have an opportunity to collab. And yeah, I it's the same thing with business, you know, is like, how do you get started? Start. Like the, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a, a single step. And so you can ideate a lot, you can brainstorm and try to be super strategic, but... You learn a lot by doing it, right? And so just get started. For our parents in the audience who don't quite understand how gaming is positive for their kids, I always say, you know, the the negative sides of gaming are obvious. Screen time, sedentary lifestyle. There can be some toxicity that we talked about a little earlier, but the positives, which there are many. Are less obvious. With your experience, can you share some of the positive aspects of gaming uh, for youth?
1: Yeah, I mean, from a positive standpoint, I look at gaming like any other sport or like extracurricular activity, right? I think a lot of the qualitative measures around, you know, teamwork, communication, trust, discipline, a lot of that is very evident when it comes to gaming, right? I think even from like more of a hard skill standpoint, like critical thinking, like being in very unique scenarios and being able to think to get out of those. I think gaming provides that opportunity. But to your point, I want to speak more like the negatives, because that's one of the things that we I think a lot of times glance over. Negatives from the perspective of like the sedentary lifestyle, I think is really important for parents to encourage students that are into gaming to find that ulterior passion. And again, if it's an opportunity, get that student or young person signed up in those classes alternative to what gaming may be. So there's kind of like hmm. that work-life balance yeah. of, yo, know, I like to play the game all day, but if I'm not playing Fortnite, I'm at, creative lego land class or i don't know just making some stuff up at this point sure. but i think that's also like really important and in scenarios where that may not be possible just like encouraging like very low level like outdoor activities i think a lot of kids still like kid stuff right going outside i think there just needs to be more of a gentle reminder or if there's a collection of kids in a local area that can't get off the game the parents working together to schedule like an outdoor fun, like fun time or just something where they can still be together and even still talk about that thing that, they's, that they're so you know passionate about. But positively, I, I see a lot of growth. I mean, even with the kids and the students that we work with, the amount of aha moments, it's like, it's so beautiful to hear because you never know what that thought or that idea is going to spark. And even just to hear kids say like, wow, I didn't know I could work in the gaming is that's like one of my favorite phrases to hear because now, you know, you've just unlocked like the next level of someone's thought process. So I see the pros and the cons, but again, I mean, there's pros and cons with everything in life. And I think it's just about with the things that we don't like having like ulterior plans and agendas to support and really alternate some of the things that we may dislike in a space.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I have a seven year old son and he has in the last, I want to say about six months, really, fallen in love with video <laughs> and games. And so we're either playing on my SNES classic. I'm introducing mm-hmm. him to some of the retro <laughs> stuff or he's playing on his Nintendo Switch. And just the other day I was I was telling him about the reasons not to always be on the game and this this digital stimulation. And so there's those negatives that people are aware of. But I love that you commented on the teamwork and the aspects that are consistent with traditional sports because we do know that, you know, hey, if I have my kid playing soccer, there's value to him learning how to play with the team, right? There's value to having him lose and learn how to deal with that winning and how to deal with that. And those things are mm-hmm. consistent in esports as well. One question I have for you as well, when you talk about the the underrepresentation is there's a big dynamic in not understanding your opportunities because nobody who looks like you is doing the thing. Right? Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that dynamic? And I, I think one of the reasons you're such an inspiring figure in this space is A lot of African-American boys are going to be looking at you and saying, whoa, look at this guy who's an entrepreneur. He's working in gaming and esports. I can do it too. I really commend you for that. What is it like growing up and not seeing anybody in an industry you're interested in who reflects yourself?
1: You know, I mean, we have a we have a ton of little bros and little sisters, as we as we say, my community just like spread throughout. So that's like really cool and like get to stay connected through like Twitter and Instagram and things like that. But I don't know. I, I say, at least for me, just again, more so like on the personal side, both my mom and my dad are like super active in the community. So it was never a, a fear of like presenting yourself in like awkward or more or less like unique situations mm-hmm. and. My dad is a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, which, you know, ultimately pledged into as well. And it's kind of being the fact that, yeah, I may have not seen a lot of people in these crazy leadership positions, but I was always around like super influential, like black men growing up. So for me, it was always more or less the norm, right? Like every one of my dad's friends is a lawyer, a doctor. business owner or something along those lines. So and then also going to an HBCU, I think one of the crazy narratives around HBCUs is like that there's they're purely like these underfunded, underserved schools. But I mean Mm -hmm. some of the greatest leaders like come out of these environments as well. So when you go to an HBCU, basically everyone and everything in a leadership position is also black. So I think it's like a a sense of like, yo, this is not just because someone's not there, it doesn't make me feel any lesser. But, in my like mentality is like nah this is actually the norm. So it's crazy that there's not more of us in these positions. So it was more so taking that approach. And then I think, again, there's a number of people of color that are doing amazing things in the space right now, whether they're highlighted enough or not, you know, I think that's a different conversation, but just being a someone that again, students can look up to is really critical for me. So like, even when I do panels or podcasts or presentations, like I try not to give off like the corporate feel, I usually wear Jordans or Yeezys or like some slightly jeans and a hoodie because I think it's also important for like young black students or even young minority students to not have to feel that you have to look or present a certain way Mm. in order to move anymore. Because Everything now just based on how society is set up is around like your intellectual capital and your ability to execute. And, you know, I think we're beyond the days of oh, I need a suit and tie in order to give off this persona. So I think there's a lot of things that we do directly and indirectly. But to answer your question is, I just hope that we are shining a light on the fact that, you know, that there are a lot of Black people in the space, and we are not going to stop until we feel as if there is like a fair share or equal treatment or representation from all of these events across the board. So we have a long ways to go, but we had to get started to your point.
0: Yeah. One thing I really love about the esports space is, like every industry, we have our shortcomings, right? And so there's things that need to be improved, things that need to be worked on. But what I see in the esports space is the issues that are identified aren't just pushed to the side and, you know, hide that, don't focus on that. This is how it's always been done. They are typically saying, this is an issue, and then people go after it and really tackle it. I don't know if that has to do with it's a younger typically a younger industry and so we just had that attitude but is, is that something that you've experienced in your life this go get it fix it let's make it better
1: yeah so I, my friend that used to work over at twitch kevin he's doing amazing things at like web3 now mm-hmm. he always said it um it's like we like entered into like the passion economy right where you know people are really buying and trading and doing business with Passionate people that are doing like amazing good work to like positively positively impact society, and I think like the more I think about it, and even like as we grow as a community, I see it more and more and more. It's like passion to your point, and so I, I think there is. I, I everyone I talk to are like a lot of my entrepreneur friends. A lot of their companies, yeah, they. It's not really service based. It's like tackling a, wor- a real world issue, and that's kind of like what they've devoted their organizations to. So yeah, no, I think um, it's, it's becoming more of a trend, and I think also brands are buying into that as well, because I think as more like individuals start to think like this,
0: mm-hmm.
1: individuals are going to start spending their money with brands that are they feel are also going to start doing the most to reward them, like economically, but then also like socially. I yeah. think it just boils down to that. Shout out to Kevin, Passion Economy. I'll never forget
0: that. Yeah, I love that. I've never heard that before. So that's awesome. On that note, uh, a, a few weeks back, I had the opportunity to interview a guy who's the former global president of Pepsi, and his name is Brad Jakeman. And what he was sharing on the podcast, he's probably late 40s, early 50s ish, probably. Brad, if you're listening and you're younger than that, I apologize, but <laughs> but his point, he said he said, you know, my generation, we're the wolves of Wall Street, where all we cared about is the revenue and the money and the shareholder value and now you talk about this passion economy it's an and conversation where it's yes those things matter of course but we also care about the social issues and Mm -hmm. you know the impact that our dollars and our brands are making outside of the spreadsheet or the stock
1: Right. yeah i think social media had a lot to do with that because brands just can't post their quarterly earnings every week on social media you know you're not getting a lot of
0: likes uh, and shares on your quarterly earnings post
1: exactly like congrats guys so i I think again social media across the board changed just the way that you do everything to the point of why social impact and this type of work actually becomes meaningful because it it to buys into a bigger story outside of the fact that, you know, you grew a billion dollars or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, So yeah, no, like our mission is just to be able to be in a position again to kind of tap into, multiple sides of, you know, what we determine as like this opportunity within, you know, media, gaming, and and also education.
0: Yeah, I I do want to tap into a little bit of kind of brand strategy or brand guidance, sponsorship guidance a little bit with you. A lot of the work I do is helping brands and agencies understand how do you effectively engage the esports fans, which are a skeptical group of people. Obviously, you're working with a number of sponsors, what do you tell brands what would your message be if someone's trying to figure out their strategy for something that works outside of you know kind of your typical logo slap? Of course you do need the awareness, but I find that you need to enhance experiences, you need to create this goodwill to then be embraced. How would you direct brands who are trying to figure this out?
1: The first question I always ask is just like like why do you want to be in esports and gaming and I think that's super important because, again, like there's so many different angles that you can go. There's competitive and there's esports and there's team sponsorship and league sponsorship and there's casual gamers and there's more like socially driven things. So it's like, you know, how do you all view gaming? Is it something where you want to reach a large audience, like mainstream, or is it something where you specifically want to focus through esports and reach gamers? I think that foundational question sets up a lot. So then from there, again, I think for us, we just are able in a position where we're usually not selling, again, a thing, or like a, you know, I'd like to see what. Bless you. Yeah, excuse me. I was like, <laughs> dude, I don't know what it is. Like, usually in Atlanta, it changes scenery to California, but kind of lost my train of thought, but.
0: Yeah, you're saying after after that first question is answered of why do you want to be in this space, your, yeah. your next step is?
1: Oh yeah. So why they want to be in the space, and then again, just figuring out how can how they get there. What are traditional activations look like? What you know, what type of audience you're looking to reach? What is you know a lot of the, again the qualifying questions that you would go through just to get a holistic picture. But I, I think what I was mentioning was one thing that I um we worked very hard the first two years is that we don't necessarily when we're talking to brands, we are not selling like an event or a single moment. Yeah. Um, it's more or less like painting a narrative around a multitude of things that they could invest in over a, a, a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So I think that is kind of like my biggest one tidbit is just build sustainable programs. It's way easier versus like trying to fit into like a one-off and speaking from like a brand standpoint, I think that's more of the challenge for like the brand and the agencies is then, identifying groups that can actually support the things that they say that they can do over a long period of time. Right. Good and point. I think that's why for us, the first two, three, four projects, we were like, "Yo, this is our lives because we knew as a young organization, the work product is all that we're going to be measured around. Yeah. And so should we give a work a, a solid and excellent work product the first, you know, one to five times, we have a process, we have trust, we have visibility, Like, let's just keep that thing moving forward. So that's why I was like, it's usually harder for the brand to identify who they can trust with their dollars and with their marks and with their logo. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's way easier for folks to say, hey, look, I can create this campaign and we can work with these schools, et cetera. But again, that's why for us, we do a lot of the work without the brand, show the brand what's already going on and how they can support and amplify certain certain projects and initiatives.
0: Yeah, I think a track record of success is so important. And, you know, if you're a brand and you want to sponsor the NFL, it's like, yeah, you guys have been doing that for over 100 years, literally. Like, I know that you can probably execute on a sponsorship. When you look at the esports space, yourself being very young, community being pretty young, right, relatively, is wait, this, none of this has been around for a long time. How do I know that my dollars are going to be utilized well? And, you know, you now have this track record, which is very, very positive, and people can look at that. But I, I kind of have a hot take where I think the, the esports community, I'm curious if you're if you agree or disagree mm-hmm. with me, and just give me your transparent thought. I, you know, esports fans are skeptical. We all know that. But I think that we are more skeptical of brands because we are afraid that they are going to leave rather than being afraid of getting you know, getting into mm-hmm. the space. And the reason is, historically, with revenue being so volatile up and down, right, sponsorship revenue is the number one source of revenue still in the industry. And so a big box retailer comes in and says, all right. We got a new CMO. He wants to invest in esports and we've got $2 million a year to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Great. People all of a sudden have the opportunity to compete where they didn't before. People who do production now can start their own production companies and they can make a, a living, right? Doing what they love. And then what happens? The results aren't there or the CMO leaves or whatever and that brand cuts those budgets. And all of a sudden... You can't do what you love for a living anymore because the revenue dried up. And so I think there is a hesitancy to be like, how long are you going to be here? And are you here for me as well? Because I've been doing this for 20 years and this is the first time I've seen you <laughs> get involved. Or are you looking to back me? And so I think one of the the best strategies, and it, you know, it can take some, some time to convince people of, but is you got to be in it for a certain amount of time. You cannot do this one-off that's not going to be effective if you just do it one time. But if the community sees that you are here to support us long-term, that's where you're embraced, and that's when your dollars are effective.
1: Yeah, no, I I see it from so many perspectives, and primarily I I did grad school at Georgia State in technically sports administration, which is like their sports management. So, like, I love sport and, like, the business of it. So, like, I am, if I put on my traditional sports hat, right, my traditional sports hat, I I think, I don't, to your point around longevity, sustainability, I 100% agree that unless it is pitched as, like, a one-off event, right, if a brand is like, hey, look, we're going to invest into a year-long campaign and they pull their money, I think that's tragic, right? That shouldn't happen. But in the event that something is being pitched and is being executed, to your point, right, there has to be, methodology around generating revenue that's just really what it comes down to yeah i think one of the challenges with gaming and esports early on is that you know the early adopters saw it as a pure play marketing right it was social media hey look we have 10 million followers as a team give us x dollars we'll meet those goals Mm -hmm. but that really impacted the performance side of gaming and the performance side wasn't getting the amount of support that it needed to perform right to win to travel to train to whatever um so there's like this lopsided balance i think though holistically i'm not sure because i again from from our end at least from my perspective just being super honest right we're doing what we're doing with or without brands brands Mm -hmm. make it significantly easier but we again like being a startup, being bootstrapped, we haven't raised any capital, right? We mm. So before the leagues were sponsored and funded, they were also running in a, in a much different perspective and pace. Sure. But we were still organizing those tournaments. So I, I think to, to kind of answer your question holistically, is I think that is also the advantage of kind of coming in from a, the non-corporate lens is that we literally started with zero dollars, with zero schools, and kind of have like built that up and knock on wood, right? Should we ever revert to that for a period of time, we know how to navigate and we know how to operate as if nobody was involved to kind of like yeah. make the thing go forward. So that's what I was like, again, bro, it comes down to our team. I mean, we have phenomenal like Tyler, who leads our esports operations. We have Chris, who's our CMO, who also is like taking really the lead charge of building out the esports and working with the schools. So now we're equipped. And so we're always thinking worst case scenario, like if the brands don't come back in September for season three, how do we run the league? How much does the league cost? What do we have to do? But again, just how we're positioned right now League 3 should hopefully you know, be way better than we just finished our second season. I'm sorry, League 3. Season 3 should be significantly better than we just finished our second season. So we're really excited for this upcoming September.
0: Can't wait. Yeah, I've boy, time has flown. We're already at the end of this episode. I feel like I oh, can wow. talk to you another couple episodes long. Before I let you go, can you just tease our audience a little bit? What can we be looking forward to coming from community or community media?
1: I would say in the next few weeks, we will have like a really, really cool revamped website where we'll have like upcoming programs, camps that students can participate in both physically and virtually. So if parents, if you're interested, you know, please check us out, Either like our website now or follow us on social media. But our big major, you know, thing we're working towards now is the launch of HPC Esports Season 3. We'll be doing that again for the next two years at a minimum with Twitch and our, our partnership that we have with them. So now that's going to be really, really awesome. We have some cool tempo moments kind of scattered in throughout the season. So we're really excited for that. So Please, everyone, check out community spells ity. Our socials should pop up. And then also hbcuesports.gg I'm across, like, all of our socials. And we're really looking forward to, like, building our audience. Again, we're still young. I think we've done a lot of cool stuff. But, you know, we still are looking to build our audience. Like, we haven't captured all the people that we want to tap in. So, yeah, definitely check us out. Support us. And, and John, again, this has been an awesome platform. Just thanks for this opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. I would just encourage all of the audience to definitely get in touch with Ryan, follow community, go eat at McDonald's, buy a Verizon <laughs> phone, and order that food from DoorDash, get all this sponsored shots. <laughs> well, Ryan, thank, thank you sure. so much for being here, educating our audience, it's inspiring us with all you're doing, and we're going to be here cheering for you. So thank you for joining me today on the DLC Drop podcast. All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you later. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Future Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.